Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Living with XXY podcast series. I'm your host, Ryan Briganti. So today we have a mother, uh, Jessica, on the other line. How's it going? Hi. Doing, um, how are things? Um, actually, really good. So Jessica has a son named Clay, who's 18. Um, and we're just going to let her get started on kind of what led up to the diagnosis. So go ahead. Okay. Well, ours was a very long road to diagnosis. Uh, Clay is my firstborn, and um, I didn't have any frame of reference to, you know, know how his development was maybe different than other kids. So we started to um, notice things about him. I think it was my grandmother who first mentioned something about speech therapy. She recommended and said she would pay for speech therapy with him. He was probably two, two and a half and had words, but not sentences. And so she, with her background, noticed that about him. And I, I remember being put off by that. And I was like, no, no, he and I communicate fine. You know, I knew when he was hungry and when he was tired and he gave lots of clues and cues for me to understand his language. However, I just didn't know that he was, you know, probably not developing the way he should be at that age. There were other things like he ran on his tippy toes as, as a little kid. I didn't know that was unusual, but you know, I did see him do that. And then later on, uh, you know, when he was probably 10 or 11 in baseball, he was still running on his tippy toes to first base. Um, what are some other things, you know, so in school, school began to become a problem probably around third grade. Um, I remember a parent teacher conference where, um, the teacher said, you know, I just learned to expect less from Clayton and that really upset me. Um, she could, she didn't have any ideas about any of it really uh and it wasn't until fourth grade that i had him tested for learning disabilities and that process in and of itself was uh kind of combative with the school district you know it was really hard to just get him tested um i remember his fourth grade teacher showed me you know there was a um they were all tasked with drawing a self-portrait of themselves and they were all hanging out uh, on clotheslines in the classroom for back to school night. And, you know, all the kids did really colorful, wonderful jobs. And my kid was, you know, barely a pencil drawing and it was, it was pretty rough. So there again, it was there in front of my face how he couldn't do what most kids had done. Um, so then fourth grade, uh, we get him tested. Nothing comes back, but potentially uh, ADD, not even ADHD, ADD. And it just didn't make sense to me that he was ADD because when he had something in front of him, like Legos or playing in the sandbox, he could go for hours doing that one thing. So, you know, that was all they could give me out of that test. And, but from there we got a 504 plan. So that was the beginning of having him ha be able to have allowances in class that 
you know, other kids might not have as far as um, more time to take tests. Um, I could, I, you know, as he went into middle school and high school, I started to help him with, um, you know, reading to him. And then we would talk about what the lesson was there. And then I would handwrite. His handwriting was terrible and it was hard. And so I was able to write his answers down for him. And that was good as him doing it. So I never did the homework for him, um, but I always did a lot of it through him, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you get, you were, you were doing a lot of the accommodations that like a school through an IEP, like a, if a kid has like an extra class that is able to do his homework in that, or um, like when I had my IEP, um, I had extended time on tests and I had the option of the teacher reading the test or the, the, the learning center person uh, specialist reading the test to me if I needed it, like for reading comprehension or for the math comprehension questions. Um, yeah. What I'm kind of curious about the school and getting him tested, like what what was what was so hard for you to even get him tested? Was it because they thought that he just looked normal or what was? Yeah, I think it was that his test results were not, you know, there's a curve and I think he was landing somewhere in the normal range, however low that might have been. So it, he looked normal. He acted normal. He wasn't like um, a typical disabilities type of kid you know he just he was very quiet he flew under the radar he didn't cause problems but it, it was the learning and the comprehension mainly in reading he did okay in math but you know as time went on it it was hard for him to keep up in any subject really what was what was his expressive language like as far as um you know, it seems that a lot of us have a really hard time with being expressing ourselves. Yeah, he he's he's been very emotional. I would say he's he cried very easily, um, and so you know, in school he was just quiet. I and I, but in um, he he gravitated towards girls. I think because they're gentler beings and he's a gentle being and um but he also had close guy a couple small you know small amount of close guy friends throughout his life so far so he's he's just um he's a tender person he's you know I heard his feelings on accident still now and he'll tell me about it and he'll be like I don't like it when you say that so he feels things deeply and he I think you know as a child he was more of a crier than he is now it's it's so wonderful to hear you say the things that you're saying because they resonate with me not only with my life but with all the men that I've met through this community of of more sensitive more emotional and like super empathic um mm -hmm. and then like you mentioned like more friends friends with more girls like there's something there that um like every, people would say, oh, if you're friends with all girls, you must be gay. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, that's not the case at all. It's just that I think it's like, like at parties when I was growing up, 
I would find myself in the kitchen with all the women while all the men were like out the barbecue outside and I'd Mm -hmm. be in there talking to all the women and I just was able to have a more of like a real conversation um, with emotion Mm -hmm. or deep be able to ask questions that I wanted to ask where I wasn't intimidated um, versus like with the men like chest bumping and super super aggressive and I didn't really fall into that category now I had guy friends but I wasn't that like aggressive typical male that you you tend to like see in the in the stereotype so Mm -hmm. what what age was what age was he when um things started like with the 504 plan and things started to click like more like were was there more of a was were there more challenges or did things start to click for him and get better so um it was around eighth grade i believe that we discovered that brain balance program I think I've talked to you about and that was a whole year of going twice a week for uh, an hour and a half it was an intensive program um, and that was really eye-opening to me because they showed me uh, what was happening to his body like they in, in the diagnosis test they do they have him read a page and they they basically lock in on his pupils and they can translate that for you to see what his eyes are doing as he's reading and they were just jumping all over the page there was no straight across at all happening so it made total sense to me why he was having trouble with reading comprehension so that place started to basically rebuild him from infancy where where he might have missed uh, some of those mobility skills, the strengthening, um, you know, as an infant, he didn't like tummy time. He had a lot of weakness in his core and in his arms. They put him on a balance beam. They had him do a pull-up, uh, you know, it took time for him to, to develop that strength. There was a lot of um, exor- home exercises to do that were cross-brain. Um, and a lot of like um, fine motor skills with pegboards and things that really, I feel like a, that was a turning point because that was all we knew at that point was here's some things going on with your kid's body that they could measure. And here's how we're gonna improve that. And I think from that point, he he started to gain some confidence, um, not just with who he was, but in being able to do schoolwork even as even though it was still challenging to keep up with what they were loading on him uh he could still do it if that makes sense so he could do the work it's just like the 20 pages of it was really cumbersome it's i did something called fast forward and i think that was for attention i I like to focus and it was like a a red dot in like a box you had to just click that you just had to watch a screen and like click this button when the box was around the red dot or something i can't really remember but then i did sylvan learning center as well which was like a high school um like extended period kind of where they taught you different learning like they how to like make workarounds so it Mm -hmm. sounds like it's brain balance yes so it sounds like brain balance was able to he was able to like tactilely like because we're visual hands-on learners he was able to like actually physically grasp like his learning style or or a workaround for his learning style if I'm well 
I think what they do there is they they remake the pathways of of what the brain's supposed to do. Like he didn't crawl as a kid. He scooted. And that motion when they're a baby looking up, looking right, you know, using both arms and both legs, that creates those pathways to comprehension. Interesting. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And there's a, a book called Disconnected Kids that explains all of this and also has exercises in it. So that's what that program um, came from. So he was basically from a young age, he had to like start working harder and yeah. he's your first. Did you have a second where a, yes. a second didn't have, how was the relationship there when your when your second was born most likely your second didn't have to work as hard correct I have a another son who's about two years younger and um their their relationship is great um but my youngest has been smooth sailing through school AP classes can do you know any class with his eyes closed pretty much never asked me for help so it's night and day different um you know i think my youngest really roots for his older brother because he doesn't have all the wins that my youngest has in school so anywhere where clay can have wins and we can celebrate him you know getting a job dirt bikes you know he has a lot of interests my son clay and so my youngest is really supportive of him um, and really wants him to do well. So there's no, as, but from, from a mom, from a mom perspective, like seeing how your youngest is just excelling in school and, and how you're old now that he's 18 um, school's mm -hmm. over, but how there was like, you knew even be, even before, like all this is before the diagnosis. So you mm -hmm. knew when he was in eighth grade, when your son was in sixth grade, you knew that like there was night and day difference and you were able to see that? Yes. Yes. I think I, I started seeing it, you know, as soon as that third and fourth grade, I, I saw it. I just didn't know what to do about it. And then at home, like after school, that and like obviously there's a lot of challenges that you were having at school. You were finding workarounds, having to like, was brain balance something that was an out-of-pocket cost or did insurance cover something it's, like that? It's very expensive and it's out-of-pocket. Okay. And at the time, uh, my job pitched in and helped me pay for it. So we actually didn't have to come out of pocket. Um, so we were very lucky that way. I wish it would be covered for kids because it's very important for these kids who are getting lost in the shuffle when they're young nobody knows what to do with them. So you were advocating for your son through your work of like, we were having challenge, like you were opening up to your work about oh, your yeah. son having challenges. Mm -hmm. So that's incredible that you were putting yourself out there in a vulnerable way. I don't, I don't think a lot of fam, I think, I think families that are struggling to the point where it's like, we can't do anything more financially. They'll, they'll get to that point where they'll, they're, I wouldn't say desperate, but they are willing to advocate more for themselves because they, why not? Like, what can they yeah. say? They can just say no. 
Right. And um, I had a really good relationship with these people at my work and I had shared with them the struggles. And so when I had that um, diagnose, well, it wasn't a diagnosis. It was just like they showed me what his eyes were doing on the screen when he read. It was just such a big thing for me to see and understand how he was struggling uh, visually. And I just wanted to share that with people like gosh, we've had such a big aha and learning he was left brain weak and that his right brain was controlling his left eye and uh, among other things in his body, um, you know, that I thought people should know about this. I, I, I love sharing it. Um, and I'm a researcher. I love to do research. So, you know, whoever wants to listen, I was sharing with it. How was he with coordination since his you know, right brain had so much control. Was he not coordinated? Um, so he fell a lot as a child and had a number of gashes in his forehead, like just all the kids going to PE, running up a hill to go on the track. You know, he fell down and gashed his head open. He fell out of a stroller as a little tiny infant, you know, because I just turned my head for one sec. That might help it happen to anybody, but, you know, he was wobbly, let's say. Um, and then I think it was probably eighth or ninth grade. He was on a, a baseball team and he's six foot two and you expect, you know, a bunch of power out of him, but he just, the hand eye, he could not connect with the ball. He, he would from time to time, but it was just not anything consistent and learning about his eyeballs that way helped me understand um, more. But what he could do is ride a dirt bike. And I, you know, I feel like there's a lot of motor coordination and strength in that. And I, he's been doing that consistently um, since about that time. And that's where he finds so much freedom. He gets out on these open wood logging roads and he, and he also does like, he makes little, um, these little, uh, he puts like a big log in the middle of our yard and he, he'll go over it slowly. And, you know, he's really trained his balance on that and gained a bunch of coordination out of just that. So he didn't continue on with baseball because it was pretty frustrating to not be able to connect. Um, but dirt biking has really helped. What, what bike did he start out with? Was it like a 50 CC when he was younger? Yes. His dad has graduated him up. I think he's on a 200 right now. Okay. So that's awesome that he was able to find like an individual. And a lot of people say like we gravitate, gravitate toward more towards like individual sports, but I know I can't really say that because I know a lot of guys that have excelled in like the group sports in high school and in their life in general, but that's awesome that he was able to find something and I've never been on a motorcycle. My mom has made me swear that while she's alive, I'm never allowed to be on Aww. a dirt bike or motorcycle. But I had when I lived in Colorado, I had a lot of friends that had because um, there's a lot of open land um, in Colorado that you can like fire road or um, logging roads and things like that. Mm -hmm. You can trails, um, and it's incredibly it's a you have to be incredibly skillful at it because you're going at high speeds and it can be extremely dangerous if you fall off. Usually if yeah. you do fall off, you end up breaking things or getting severely hurt. 
Um, so, and there's a lot of technique to it, like shifting gears and knowing yes. downshifting and, and then mm-hmm. obviously like your suspension and learn, like that, that's, he's probably got an incredible core strength now just from mm-hmm. being able to, if he's, if he's trying to balance a 200 CC bike on, on a log in the, in the backyard, um, yeah. that's a lot of weight to throw around. Is he enduro? That's the word okay. I'm looking for. He makes little enduro tracks in our yard and then does them when he's out in the woods. So that's like the rocks and the, for anyone that doesn't know, that's um, basically like a very technical aspect of a a motocross. Um, There's lots of like logs and uh, big, huge rocks and like bridges and little things that you have to like balance. And it's all about like technique, but it's, it's time. So it's race against the clock but you're, you're being faced with a lot more challenging things than you would be just being able to like go fast, pin it. And, um, just like in, in those aspects. And it's nothing like the motocross, uh, racing with like the dirt jumps and, and the track. Exactly. Um, so as far as like his, I know we're, we'll get back to eighth grade in a minute, but as far as like his, you know, when he first started on the bike, how six, six, two or six foot, six, two ish, like tall, skinny. Like, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think he took to it way better than his brother. Actually, if I'm recalling right, he, you know, he just, uh, they just started out slow and didn't do anything crazy in our yard and got a feel for it. And then my husband would take him out on, you know, more advanced areas where they could ride straight you know he hasn't really developed this enduro thing until recently um but he took to it great and i think it was like i i mean you can imagine a kid with no wins in school feeling good at something and having that freedom to be out in the world it it really is a thrill for him so, and the thing about motocross that a lot of people don't understand, it's like the individualized sports like mountain biking or snowboarding, where it is pure adrenaline all the time. And you're constantly looking ahead of you, thinking about like where the next turn is or what's what's ahead. You're not if you focus with like if you focus in the moment and you think about like life, if you think about like problems or what's going on, it can really it can cause crashes. It can cause, you know, dangerous things because you have to be hyper-focused and that adrenaline rush of living in the moment is can be so addicting and Mm -hmm. it takes you out of it's I think it's being out in nature in general like some kids use video games as this way of getting out but to be able to do something physically out in nature um, to take your mind off of all of the the issues and things going on in the world is something that I think everyone regardless if you're xxy like needs some outlet in that form I agree. So what was, what was he like as far as like body type? Um, I know that a lot of people say like Kleinfilter is, you know, large hips, skinny shoulders. Like, was he like, and then as far, if he was skinny, like was food an issue trying to gain weight? Um, so he's, he has been pretty, pretty lean, pretty lanky up until I would say maybe 10th grade, 11th grade when he started to put on some pounds and the, it was all in his belly and, but also in his cheeks. And then last year he came down. So he got a girlfriend and simultaneously got strep throat 
and couldn't eat for like four days. And um, so he lost, he started losing weight in there. And after that, he really, um, he, he enjoyed that weight loss and he wanted to lose more. He, he got up to like 240 and he's down to like 195 right now. Wow. Okay. So over, it wasn't fast. He just started uh, eating intuitively and he just didn't eat when he wasn't hungry. And, you know, basically over six months or so, he, he lost like 50 pounds. Um, and now he's been all over, but um, he can do, he can still do a couple pull-ups and he, he would like to build some, you know, arm strength, I think. Um, but he's very proud of his physique and he wears his shirt off all the time. And yeah, he's really comfortable in his skin. Well, that's, that's awesome. Um, so let's, let's kind of just veer back to eighth grade and kind of finish up with, um, with that. So with eighth grade, everyone knows that, you know, middle school is such a challenge, um, in general. And so, um, the, what kind of leading up to high school, was there anything after this brain balance, um, like made some successes in your life? I think what's important here to understand is like a lot of parents don't understand their kids. They don't they don't know like what they need, what they really need or how they learn or, um, mm -hmm. you know, and there's more information about Klein-Filterson now than there ever was, but the parents of becoming like the, the, their son's advocate, but also figuring out like, well, how do we, how do we go about punishment or how do we go about like his learning style? And it's, it's probably completely different than their other two kids. Um, some parents decide to treat them differently. Others just say, Hey, we're going to treat you the same like everyone else in, in those mm -hmm. aspects. So what led up to kind of high school, um, and knowing, like knowing what you knew from the brain balance, how did you lead into high school with that? Um, yeah, that, so it's, it's always been me involved in his schoolwork. Like I couldn't, I couldn't really not be involved and make sure he was, at least doing the minimum to keep a decent grade. You know what I mean? Um, I think, you know, what I did this last year, you know, he had an assignment to read a book and answer questions on um, this book called The Hate You Give. And there was a movie about it. So we watched the movie together and then we could answer the questions. We had the book and could look things up that, um, we couldn't answer from memory on the movie, but we would do things together and talk about them together to, to get him through school. You know, he went into a pre-apprenticeship program. So a lot of his day was spent working with tools, learning welding, woodworking, um, doing community work for local elementary schools through that class. So he was very engaged in a couple of classes. It was just mainly English and science that I had to really kind of help him get through to the end of the school year. Sometimes he didn't pass. Sometimes he had to take summer school. Um, I tried to get him to do as much as he could, uh, but it was, it was a little bit of torture for both of us. I think, I think every family 
um <laughs> regardless of x6y or not i mean other than like you like you said your young son doesn't really need that but i think a lot of us the family i talked to yesterday my life there's a lot of torture involved in getting schoolwork done um and parents like my parents let me fail at some point they said okay like it's time for you to fail we we've we've held you up for so long but now then now we're going to let you tread water on your own and Mm -hmm. a lot of i kind of repeat this but my parents um i stopped doing my uh, math homework i was at a catholic high school in 11th grade and i think homework was like 40 percent of our grade um it dropped me to a 1.6 gpa and i was a star on the volleyball team um i ended up getting kicked off the volleyball team i had to go to my team and tell them they were all disappointed um, they were like, you can't be at practice. We don't want you at our games. Like just, you know, like mm. focus on getting your grades back up so you can play next year. The seniors were not too happy, but it was a life lesson that I learned from like, at some point you just, your parents are holding you up for so long. It's like, okay, now it's on you. Yeah. So what led up to the diagnosis of, you know, your son getting, fi- finding out that he had XXY? Yeah, that was, um, I think 2020. And it was in the fall and we, I had taken both boys to a nurse practitioner who was a male for an annual checkup. So both boys were in there. He was um, examining. So I left the room so he could examine their boy parts. And in that examination of Clay, they, you know, he came in and talked to me in the other room that I was in and said, I have some concerns about your son, the um, size of his te- his testicles are not um, commensurate with his height and weight. And so I want to run some blood work and I want to test his testosterone. And um, if, if it is what I think it is, because at that point he had uh, cared for at least like six XXY people um, so if it is what I think it is, it's something called Kleinfelter syndrome. So he was very careful not to be sure of it, but I'm going to, he said, I'm going to test the testosterone. If it's low, I'm going to, I'm going to send you to a, um, endocrinologist. So that, that came back really low. I think it was 40. His testosterone was 40. Wow. That's yeah. low really low um and so that so we had you know basically from the fall well into the spring we went to see the endocrinologist he sent us to a geneticist uh, because we had questions um and then we got the final diagnosis probably about may of that 2021 and with so during that time you know when I first heard of it I jumped on the internet and I didn't see anything very helpful like WebMD and that kind of thing I I was very concerned and you know what then what I was seeing uh really upset me um I was trying to hold back you know, um, just, just for his sake, trying to be strong, you know, and so in my research, I came across your, 
uh, podcasts, your blog, et cetera. And I just started diving in and listening to you and your experience. And I was like, oh, this is, this is totally my kid. You know, like his academic uh, history was just like yours. And then, so I just started devouring your information and kind of gently feeding it to him here and there. And I would like show him some of your, I think you had some TikToks maybe, or some Instagram videos and just kind of got him a little bit acquainted with you just to kind of, you know, so for my own sake, it was like lessening uh, the worry. And I think so for him too, it was just able to like calm the situation down. Like, oh, if this is it, this is, you know, this guy's doing great. So, um, so during that time is kind of when we we're trying to teach ourselves about what it was and what it meant. And so we got our final diagnosis with that endocrinologist in May. And that was really tough because that was basically the final word that he most likely wouldn't be able to father kids of his own. And that made him really sad at that moment. He burst into tears and was like, are you sure this is it? You know, and that was, that was rough. <clears throat> but from then on, it's just kind of been acceptance and, you know, talking about he, there's lots of ways to be a dad and there's lots of kids out there who, you know, you can adopt, you can have a sperm donor, you and your wife will have a wonderful family uh, in the future, no matter what. So, you know, I think that's, that's just, that was the hardest thing. And that, that has over time just gotten easier and just kind of matter of fact at this point. When did you guys like how, how much time after him finding out that you had 40 testosterone, like 40 low T, what, what was the, the course of action? Um, was testosterone first or was the karyotype first? And then once you found out that it was XXY, like how did you, how are the results given to you guys? Um, so it was at that, that endocrinologist where he confirmed it uh, based on the blood draw um, that had taken a long time to come back. And so he, that information was delivered kind of matter of factly and was like, here's a piece of paper with chromosomes on it. And here you have an extra. Do you have any questions? You know, like it, it was not profound. It was not, you know, he was like, how do you feel? And he was like, totally upset. You know, it, it just wasn't a good match as far as delivering that news to him. That's why I leaned on your stuff so much. I had him listen to podcasts to, you know, talk. And he did. He he actually listened to you and other XXY men talking about life and their sex life. And, you know, it just, it, it was very helpful. So it was not, it, it was very sad, I would say, to sum up that information given by that doctor like just no connection with him and 
So yeah, no, I don't think he knows what to say. No, no, like further reference of hey, we'll put you in touch with the genetic counselor to explain more about this or um, like. I, I know the sheet that you're talking about. It's it shows all the different chromosomes on it of of what like it's like one page, and then at the bottom right, it's uh, it's like here's what the X chromosome looks like. You have two of those. Here's one Y chromosome that's XXY, and then. So like yeah. to see that that's like foreign. That's foreign. Yeah. To, foreign to me. It looks like snails or worms on a piece of paper. <laughs> no, I know exactly. And you know, to me, it should be like, hopefully someday, it should be like congratulations. You know, you have this extra chromosome, and here's what that means, and all the positives. But this was not. They did refer us to to a geneticist, and. It was like meeting with a scientist who handed us a packet of papers uh, from his textbook or something. And we did talk about micro T's there um, and how, you know, maybe in 10 years when he's wanting to have a kid that things will advance by then. But, and this is what that is and how that works. So, you know, again, just cold a little bit just just not welcoming and you know was there to answer questions but it was just you know we didn't know anything to ask so there was much. there was no human empathy anything towards the diagnosis there was no hey here's no. some organizations or here's some information it was no. just very cold very unfortunately very typical of our community's experiences there are few there are people that have had good experiences but this seems to be kind of a broken record now at this point of everyone that decides to share their story and, and stand up most people have this experience and um that i mean it's slowly changing and you know it requires our more and more of our community to be open and share their story for these things to change um which mm -hmm. you're doing today um, and your son is totally okay with you talking about him and sharing your story, his story. So that's, that's really yeah. incredible. So obviously, so living with XXY was like a kind of, it gave you the human, like the, the real life feeling and kind yes. of, did it calm a lot of the nerve? Like what were the nerves that you had leading into this? Um, so one of the things that I read before I found you was, something to the effect of this child will be on SSI for the rest of their lives. Like they won't have a job. They'll probably live with you uh, forever. You know, just something that didn't compute with my kid and, you know, the future that I knew he could have. So that it, so that was what was sticking in my head when I found you and it just kind of washed all the negative stuff away. And, you know, I felt like, oh, this is my kid in 20 years or however, you know, your, your age difference is, um, you know, and you are having a full fulfilling life, doing awesome work. And I know that, so backing up to Clay being like, a, a toddler he's always been interested in heavy equipment when he saw it in the car when he played with his trucks so that has never gone away and so now he's 
heading towards a career in heavy equipment operation. And he's, you know, it's going to take a little time to get ramped up, but he's ready to go to work as a laborer on a job where he can get some experience doing heavy equipment operating. And he's very confident in uh, himself and making money and doing that work. I've seen him operate heavy equipment um, when we rent it around our house. He's very skilled at it, more so than my husband, who's been in the trades for 35 years. You know, we put clay on the on the equipment because he's so good at it. Like just it's like poetry. So, you know, just seeing you and all the stories of all the men just really helped me just calm down. It was like, okay, I can relax and everything's going to be fine. That's really what it did for me. So moving forward from the diagnosis, um, since he had low testosterone, was to stop like was testosterone a conversation part of the the diagnosis? Was there any like, hey, this is where you're at. This is where a normal male is at. This is these are the options for to get you to that normal level. Yeah. So that that definitely was part of the conversation with the endocrinologist. And we started out every two weeks doing in, doing the shots. He does them in his thighs. And <clears throat> I did them for him for a while. And then I started to let him take over and do it himself. And some, you know, I started setting it up for him. And then he would do the injection. Now he does all of it himself. I just have to remind him to do it. Um, so yes, we've been doing blood draws to check his testosterone for all this time. Um, we haven't seen him in the 200 range yet. So um, right now he's getting, um, he just had his blood drawn yesterday. So we had to get a new doctor here locally. That's been the problem is going to Portland and his schedule and my schedule has been a little bit of a nightmare. So he's doing um, 20 MC, MCs every week, 20. Um, and so I should find out today where he's at. Um, and so we have a new doctor who can get him into the normal range. He might have to increase his dose, but he's he's in the hundred something right now. Um, at last check, he might, wait, I don't even know if he's in the 200 range yet. Are you talking about free testosterone? Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cause I know that there's also like the NG, there's another method of, of measuring testosterone, but that's usually, um, I think that's, uh, metric and they use a lot of that in Europe and all the other countries. And I don't, I'm not entirely, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not entirely too sure on yeah. the measurements, but I do know like the free level, the free the free testosterone levels. And if he's only at around a hundred, that's, that's crazy to me to, you know, we, I, we can talk about this off, um, off podcast, um, just in, in some of those aspects. I mean, that's mind blown that he's already 18 and he's still not up to like a 600 or 650 range, which is crazy. And that, that's, I'm glad that you guys got like a new doctor that's locally and they're yeah. doing blood work because that's what they're supposed to be doing. So, um, it sounds like the endocrinologist that you had before that delivered the information wasn't 
maybe the most versed person in general or what didn't didn't yeah he wasn't pushing us to get into the 600s for sure like the, he was trying to get us up to 200 so there's a disconnect obviously and i think by having a local doctor who can manage his levels to where they should be i've noticed he's started to grow more hair lately um He's getting getting facial hair and back hair, and um, I just I've never noticed a really big difference in his energy. Clay just never wasn't somebody who was super low energy, um, but I feel like he sleeps good and he has good energy and stays up relatively late and has a normal kid cycle at this point. So did you, when you guys found out the diagnosis and you went through all the diagnostics, you found living with XXY, how was your husband's reaction? And then was it something that you guys told other family or did you guys keep it to yourselves? Uh, we told all our family, my husband, um, <clears throat> so preface this with my husband, you know, I've been the one who takes him to all the doctors, goes to all the parent teacher meetings, all the things. So he, he is a little bit hands off on this just because he knows that Clay and I have a strong relationship there. He's not trying to intervene, but his initial reaction to it was kind of like he shrugged his shoulders like, oh, well, he's not dying. <laughs> and also he was like, let's not let it define who he is. Like, let's just, he's a great kid. You know, it's okay. It was, you know, not how I reacted because I was very upset about it, but, you know, he's always been there to hear and to bounce ideas off, but he's just not super involved in his health care the way I am. A lot of the moms are in the nurture nature aspect and they're, they've been through the thick and thin of fighting for their kids for um, getting the services they need and, and they've been there, they've noticed that there's something different, um, going on with their kids. And so there is, there is a mother, I, I, I mean, I'm not a mama's boy by any means, but I'm definitely have a very strong connection with my mom, um, ever since, you know, obviously in utero, that's when they found out about me, but there is, there's a lot of that. I think there's, I think there's also that ease of conversation because we are a little bit more emotional and a little, a little bit more sensitive, and where the dads are more of like the, you know, straight and to the point, like, he, like, yes. they don't, they don't. And what, what that's great though, because they, the dads don't see us as any different. They don't, they don't treat you. They, they don't try to like make, you know, like you can be sensitive and emotional with mom, but dad is very cutthroat straight to the point, which we need. We need, we also need that. Um, yeah. we need to be pushed in the areas that we might not push ourselves. And, and obviously your son has a great connection with dad when they go out and ride motorcycles together. I'm sure dad is pushing him to do things that he knows he's capable of doing where your son might not believe in himself in those areas. And so he's learning, mm -hmm. he's probably learning a lot through their time when they hang out and, and all of yes. that. And I think, you know, I think that that's something that's a big question in our community is like, well, some of the people ask on the Facebook groups, like, well, our, my husband's not doing enough or he's not involved mm -hmm. enough, but like he's involved. He's just involved in a lot of different ways that might yes. not necessarily be correlated with direct impact, like directly the, like having understanding and all the medical information about the XXY. But I think yeah. a lot of the dads are also 
when the time comes for them to learn more about it, they're open to it, right? But they might not understand. It's like the chromosome sheet. You know, you give them that and you go, they look at it and like, what is this? You know, unless you're a scientist or you understand uh, biology and all that to that to that extent. Um, yeah, exactly. What, so, and then tell, you telling family, like, was it, was it something that you guys were like, we need to tell family because we've been struggling or was Clay open to it? Was it like a consent thing? Like, how did you guys go about doing that? <clears throat> so I kept it within my, um, you know, core family who I knew wouldn't broadcast it without, without his consent. He never like said, don't tell anyone, mom. Um, and, but he did, he didn't feel comfortable, um, <clears throat> like having me broadcast it on my Facebook or Instagram, um, until recently, like getting him out of high school opens your mind to the big world. And, and basically he's very comfortable with it now and is okay with me talking about it. Um, so I've just, you know, talked about it with my core family and, um, you know, they don't really bring it up to him. He's just still Clayton and he's a great kid and they want to know what's going on in his life and not necessarily about how XXY affects him. He doesn't think about it on a daily basis, but he talks about it to his core group of friends who have questions. Yeah, I think that's important is is that this is, I think what's hard here is like, this is who we are, like a part of who we are. Obviously we're, uh, we're a third of, I, the way I say it, see it and say it is like, we're a third of mom and dad and like her genes and her and everything that she's got to offer and also the struggles. And then we're a third of dad and then a third of Kleinfelder syndrome. And like the sum of who we are is not just XXY. And yeah. I think a lot of the kids, especially the guys I've talked to one-on-one -on -one or, or through the internet, they don't see themselves any different. And they, they also might not understand the aspects of Kleinfelder syndrome. Like, well, I'm right brained and I'm, like I've got, I've got hands on all that. That's just like, and if you were to just throw them into society, they would just be like, Oh, this is who I am. Like, it's not because of this diagnosis. It's usually the parents that are the ones being like, Oh, is this because of XXY? They're the ones that are trying to figure these things out. Whereas the boys are, you know, just like, Hey, this is me. And, and I don't, I don't know how to like pinpoint my feelings or pinpoint myself on this spectrum of Kleinfelders and where do I stand? And, and obviously mm -hmm. that comes with age and knowledge and understanding and, and wanting to learn more about it. But also when you, when you Googled it, there wasn't very much information as to like, what are the positives and what am I good at? And like, I should like, why I should be open about this and, and like tell people about it. And, you know, yeah. when you read about it, you're like, why would I want to open up and put myself in like, that box when, when there's nothing positive or nothing beneficial of me identifying, like putting myself into that box. So yeah. did you guys have any judgment or did you have any like negative reactions from anyone or learning about it in school, like biology or, you know, did there, was there any adverse reactions to this diagnosis? Um, so I remember in his 10th grade biology class, the teacher actually taught about it, uh, about Kleinfelter syndrome in part of 
the genetics package that she was teaching. And so my son came home and told me that, you know, kids were laughing about it. And one kid raised their hand and said, wait, is it a boy or a girl? And so that to me was like, Ugh, you know, I'm sorry that happened. And maybe just be careful who you tell just because kids are horrible. They are absolutely horrible. And they always want to look for something um, to get under your skin. So that's the only real negative thing I remember hearing about. Um, and then the other thing was like he had told a girlfriend early on about it and she had blabbed to her friends and those friends came and asked him on the bus and it was like, okay, you, you can see again, you need to be careful about who you tell. It's fine to talk about it. Just choose, choose who you really want to discuss this with and have them know about it. I think that that's something that's challenging within the community, especially mothers with young kids of being diagnosed in utero now is, is the biggest thing is like, I don't want my son to be judged by our family or friends, and I don't want him to be treated differently. And then they talk about like, they want their son to have the, just the quality of life, like everyone else. And yeah. it's a hard, you know, I was bullied extensively growing up, but it wasn't because I was XXY. Maybe it was kind of the traits from XXY. I, my teeth were pretty bad. Uh, kids called me twang because I had a huge gap in between my teeth. And then I was like a foot taller than everyone else. So I didn't know it, but the girls liked me and the boys were jealous of it. And that's why the boys like probably bullied me because I, mm -hmm. I was completely oblivious to that. So it's it's a hard thing is, is like, I guess at this point, your son is 18 and I want to get into like him being like accepting of it now and opening up and talking with people is I think yeah. using his experience is like a great way to be like, okay, you're, you're afraid of telling people you're afraid that your son's going to be judged and treated differently. But now here your son is open about it, accepting and telling people. So can we oh, kind yeah. of, is he a senior now or is he graduated? No, he just graduated. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was a big accomplishment for both of us. Um, no, he's he's been um, he's been talking about it since he got diagnosed, like with his core group of guy friends. Um, and then, you know, he's actually got quite a few friends that are girls that come around, and he he, he even he's let one of his girlfriends uh, do his testosterone shot for him. Wow. in his in his thigh because she was curious about I you know what it's like to give a shot and um he coached her through it he's like don't do that do that you know and so she did that once and then you know the other night there were some girls here and these aren't girlfriends they're just friends that are girls and he just went and sat down and pulled down his pants and did his shot in front of those girls. He's got his underwear on, so he's not showing anything, but he, you know, it's like he's making it matter of fact to his entire group of friends. Like it just, it is what it is. And he's not sh shy about it. And he's willing to ask, answer questions if they have them. Um, so I, I really applaud him for that. That's at 18. That's incredible. That's so awesome to see that full circle coming around and, and acceptance of of it in in embracing it and like knowing that he needs to do his injection on the day that he has friends over and that he's not 
pushing it off or not hiding it. He's being open about it and be like, this is my life. This is in, in a way it's very much like a diabetic where someone right before mm-hmm. they eat, they have to like give themselves a, a, an insulin shot or they have a pump or they have like the little scanner on the back of their arm that you see. And like you're, yeah. you're, you're normalizing your own condition with the people around you. And so he's gotten nothing but love I'm assuming from yes. and just questions and is he able to articulate enough to where like he has answers to the questions that people ask? Well, I, I'm not privy to all those questions, <laughs> but I know that he would, he would ask me if there was anything that he couldn't answer. So what is, what is he doing? A graduate from high school. That's a huge accomplishment. That's a, my mom said it was, I think it was the happiest day of her life. She actually yes. <laughs> broke down and started to cry. Um, and yes. that was a huge, a huge thing. Um, knowing that later on in life of like, wow, my mom, that was a big deal. Um, what, it, it, it almost didn't happen, honestly. Okay. Like, uh, there, he was threatening to drop out in the fall. He was like, I'll just get my GED. I knew that he wouldn't start a whole new program over and get a GED. I knew that would not happen. So, you know, it was a lot of meetings with the school psychologist, his IEP manager. What do we have to do? Like, just so it was the last few months were torture, like the the hardest part, because he really did not want to be there. So he was he was checked out. He was, yeah, pretty checked too, out. Too early. Yes. So we just kept at it. And, you know, I helped him realize that this was the best, easiest route for him is to stay where he was, get the minimum done to get passing in these classes and get out of there with a diploma. So so, so he was... He was excelling and you said that he was in like welding and, and craft like in that's awesome that his high school had those classes. Yes. Yes. So he He's had been building things and, you know, doing projects at local schools with that class. He's been, um, you know, they they had all kinds of group assignments to build sh- a shed and give it to someone like a veteran or, you know, he's been building for a couple of years. So that's incredible that he had something in school that kept him there because if he didn't have that class, then most likely he would have been checked out way before that class even inspired him to start, start with the career that he's going into. And there's actually quite a few kids I've talked to families. I mean, I'll connect you afterwards with another family that their son also wants to do um, heavy machinery. And I think some of the kids don't connect the dots of like, well, to start with heavy machinery, you need experience. You can't just go into driving these things. So you've yeah. got to go into the labor field, pick up a shovel, like uh-huh. do do like the grunt work, the groundwork before you get promoted to be able to try or, or, you know, or, or your husband um, or your father is someone that's in the field and you can practice uh-huh. at home or on, on the job site with him and get the experience that you need to then be able to bump up. And I think that's, super important for these kids to understand that, you know, you're going to have to take a test. You're going to have to like do the things that you don't want to do that you didn't like in high school, but it's Mm -hmm. important to advocate for yourself and your diagnosis of being like, Hey, I need extended time on this test at work, you know, things like that where, and I've direct success from this with this guy named Brett Jones. He's done a podcast before. 
Um, he is he went into welding in high school and then went into ironworking, and he had to take he to work in the nuclear um, like power plants for the government. He had to take a test, and the first time he took the test, he failed because he didn't have enough time. He went back in, advocated for himself, said, "Hey, in high school, I had IP. I had extended time on tests." And he asked for it, and they gave it to him, and he passed. And That's so great. now he has top secret clearance or clearance to where he can work in these facilities because he advocated for himself about his diagnosis. Yeah. That's going to be very important for Clay, I'm sure. So what does Clay like to do for fun other than motocross? And, and what's kind of, what's 18 like now that he's out of high school? Um, so he has a really great group of friends. They, they come to my house and they have a little, um, get together like a barbecue and they call it a kickback these days. Um, so I'll have friends over make barbecue. Like they, they bought all their own food cause they all have jobs now. They bought their food and they barbecued it and ate it and cleaned it up after themselves. Like it's, it's a whole new world of having an 18 year old. Um, he goes camping. He does a lot of fishing. He's got his own license. You know, he went out and got his fishing license and, goes out with his buddies because we live near wonderful rivers and lakes here. And so I would say if it's not dirt biking, camping or fishing, um, he might uh, go on little road trips with his buddies, that kind of thing. And when did, when did he get his driver's license? Uh, it was probably a little after age 16, not okay. too much. And he did, and did he, did he have, any problems with, you know, the written test? Yes. <laughs> he, he had to take it three times. Okay. So that's, and he, was it when he failed, was it something where dad or you were just like, okay, it's time to study again. And, and like, obviously clearly he didn't let the failure stop him from getting it. No, actually, I don't recall um, getting involved in that because he did go to driving school and he was, he had all the means to look at the information, what he was supposed to study. I didn't set up any flashcards or anything. He just had to, you know, learn it a little better than he had the previous times. Yeah, I think I think the driving test is something that a lot of parents are um, fearful of, or they their kid the kids might be fearful of it because of the written test aspect of it. I think that they perform extremely well in the driving aspect, but then when mm -hmm. it comes to the written, they're they're afraid of like that failure moment but it's really awesome to hear that your son like took it upon himself he failed on his own and then he decided to study and he did he just kept doing it until he passed absolutely and the other thing is that the teacher uh, had mentioned a lot of kids don't pass the first time or the second time and i was in there observing kids getting their tests graded and it was like failed 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 like several kids in the class failed so it wasn't just him it's it's a it's a hard test well that's awesome is there anything else that we haven't covered that you feel like we need to talk about or that you need to sh you wanted to share um i think you've done a really extensive really good job as as remembering a lot of the details and information about your son's life oh good thank you well i just want you know, moms out there who are just maybe getting this diagnosis to know that they're going to be fine and that my kid is so wonderful and he's so um, confident in himself 
at this point, even though it was school was such a struggle, you know, he, they, your kids will make it through school is just rough and it's not set up for kids like Kleinfelter kids to learn. So just um, know that he'll be okay on the other side of it and um, keep advocating for him, him and do your best. That's all we can really do for our kids. You took the last question. That's usually what I ask at the end and you took it right out of my mouth. Um, okay. I, I think it's, yeah, like advocating and, and this younger generation, like you, your son found out at 15 or 16, like mm-hmm. the, a lot of the parents that are finding out in utero, they've got 15 or 16 years of, of to meet kind of you where your, your son was at, but they have all the access to early intervention and services and knowing about it and telling people and educating people around them and other, they might end up finding someone else in their family or someone else in their friend group has a son with this. It's, it's, it's happened a lot when talking to people over and over, like they say, Oh, well, we found out that our like best friend's son has this and he's like six and my son just got born. And so it's like hand me downs with clothes is exactly the same with ideas and, and like helping in the learning area. And then obviously sharing in the community, sharing the positives and sharing yeah, okay, my son did struggle all through high school, but he got through and he had like this class that inspired him. And this is the career that path that he's inspired by and going about and that your son is a productive member of society. He's got mm-hmm. friends, he's taking, he's learning to take care of himself. Like he has a job. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He drives like all, the, yeah. he, he has muscles, like all these <laughs> things that, uh, that the internet says that this community can't do or doesn't have. So thank you so much for sharing today. And um, doing this podcast, it's, it's going to make a huge difference. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for all the work you're doing too.